0: You're listening to the Simply Instructional Coaching Podcast, a podcast for instructional coaches who want a simple plan with simple steps to get started coaching teachers. I'm your host, Nicole, and I'm an elementary teacher turned instructional coach with a little bit of K 12 admin sprinkled in. Tune in for simple tips and strategies for what and how to coach teachers. Being an impactful instructional coach doesn't have to be complicated. Let's make it simple. Hey, hey coaches, welcome to the Simply Instructional Coaching Podcast. This is episode five. And in this episode, I am going to do a deep dive into organization, which is a part of the Simple Core Four. If you've been around me for any time, then you know that the Simple Core Four is the way in which I decide what it is that I am going to coach teachers. So it's a trajectory framework and it begins with organization. It moves to management and culture then it moves into content, and then instructional execution. So I'm super excited to really dive in into organization. Now, if you're not familiar with the Simple Core 4, in the show notes, there is a link in which you can download the Simple Core 4 Trajectory Framework Infographic. Let's dive into this organization part. So you're doing the snapshot we're gonna take the simple core for infographic and you're gonna share that. You're gonna share your snapshot observation or your snapshot forms with the teacher. So then they kind of see exactly what it is that you're gonna be looking for. You're then gonna have some conversation with them and kind of explain each one of the pillars. So in organization, I have six points and actually I have six key points in each one of the pillars. So in organization, we start to talk about room being neat and organized. Traffic patterns are well-planned classroom expectations posted and referenced routines and structures are established systems for parent communication is in place and grading efficiency is established these are the six key components when i talk about organization and when i talk about organization as you noticed i've brought in systems for parent communication talk about the room and being neat and organized i promise you everyone's need is not the same and some things that you feel should be in a certain way or a certain place may not happen or it may not be what someone else's viewpoint is. So you guys come together and kind of talk and have that conversation about what that room is neat and organized. I've been in a room where there was some food left out or there was pencils all over the place or there was no real organization or structure that was happening in the classroom. I truly believe that every needs to have a place, and especially when you're dealing with children, that everything should have a place. And if you do that, then students will know, one, where to find whatever it is that they need, and two, you as the teacher, you don't waste so much time trying to find things that is needed for the classroom. All right, so traffic patterns are well-planned. What we did one year was that we did zones. I worked with some teachers who was in the second grade. They would have their students to come in. One of the biggest problems that we have here in Indiana, it's cold, right? And in the wintertime, we... have coats and, you know, kiddos have boots and hats and gloves and all those things that their parents purchased for them. And so what we found is that when they come in in the morning, they will all bunch up at their cubbies. And yes, the cubbies are spread out, but they would still be all bunched up in the cubbies. And it always led to some type of issue. So what we did was we started to create zones for students to come in. We had the zones by color, so purple zone, green zone, yellow zone, blue zone. We split those kids into the four different groups. And what they did was when they came into the classroom, they would go to zone one, then go to zone two, complete whatever it is they needed at zone two, go to zone three, go to zone four. Or they may start with going to the blue zone, going to purple zone, going to yellow zone. But another student may come in and they may go to red zone first, then go to blue zone. So they will follow a different pattern or different zone pattern when they walked into or came into the classroom. So then this cut down on a lot of gathering and then a lot of them not doing what it is that they were supposed to do. And so they would just go through each one of the zones. You can have a bell to make the transition or teachers would just have them go and complete that particular assignment. So for instance, they may have a bell ringer that they may be working on, or they may then, after they do their bell ringer, then they may hang up their coats. Another group may come in, hang up their coats and hats, and then start on a bell ringer. Or they may have to go and do a walk around or what we would call a write the room or a math trail. I had the students to do math trails in class when I was in the classroom. So This was an example of something that the second graders could do. They would come in and they would do a math trail, which just meant that they would pick up their worksheet or that, and then they will follow the room to kind of complete assignments. There will be some students working on completing a math trail. There will be some students working at their desk. There will be some students that came in and and immediately put up their coats. So you just figure out different ways in which they would need to do. Some may go to the pencil area. Some may go and do lunch. Some may do, you know, it's just whatever that morning routine is, is that that's how you can get those students to kind of do that traffic pattern. And so you work with the teacher to kind of see what will work for them. This worked up until, I will say, about grade five or six. I definitely would not do this in any classes that change classes. This is just for self-contained classrooms. So we have the classroom expectations posted in reference. For me, that is a real important thing. I always try to make sure that teachers have their expectations written in positive language, right? So making sure that those teachers really talk about or post and really have conversations that are around that positive type language. One thing that I've learned in working with students is that if you mention the word don't, they hear it as do. (laughs) So you don't want to always say, don't do, you can't have, not allowed." Those things completely take students the complete opposite. Again, one thing that I've always did was to create social contracts with my students. I made sure that they understood. We came up with rules and expectations together in the classroom and what they wanted their class to be like. Because every student doesn't necessarily want their classroom to be uh, great, but they all had to agree with whatever it is that they wanted in that classroom. And those became our expectations. And then I had all the students to sign it. That works even in kindergarten, because if you have little Johnny and little Johnny is really, really cutting up today in class for behavior, you can always redirect and say, hey, do you remember when we sat down and we talked about our classroom expectations? Do you remember that you wrote your name on there? And he would say, yes, Ms. Turner. And so we would then have that conversation about keeping your word, you know, making sure that this is something that you agreed to, making sure that he understands that these are the expectations of the classroom. It also works with our older kids because then we can have conversations with them around making sure that they keep their word to something that they agreed upon. And it lends to a really good conversation for students to understand that they have to follow through on the things that they say and they agree upon because they have a contract and those contracts are super important. Hey, hey coaches, I have a few questions for you. Are you struggling to get coaching cycles completed? Are you still trying to figure out what to coach? Are you confused about how to coach teachers? If you raised your hand and said yes to any of these questions, I want to invite you to join me and more than 100 instructional coaches inside the Simply Coaching Hub. The Simply Coaching Hub is a professional development resource and community hub that will provide you with practical, relatable, and actionable professional development for new and seasoned instructional coaches. The Hub is specifically for instructional coaches created by me and Instructional Coach. In the Hub, we focus on providing specific pathways that meet you where you are in your coaching journey. Differentiation is important when we work with students and even when we coach teachers. Shouldn't it be important when it comes to your growth as a coach too? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why when you join the Hub, you will be prescribed a coaching pathway that will address your specific needs. The Hub also provides a simple framework for you to implement right away. It's time you start coaching with confidence. And most importantly, the Hub is a community with over a hundred instructional coaches from all over the world. You will connect with someone who can support you through any situation you may be dealing with. And the best part? is you have a coach walking side-by-side to support you in your journey. It's time to elevate your instructional coaching with the Simply Coaching Hub. Check out www.simplycoachinghub.com to learn more. I will see you in the hub. Routines and structures are established. So going back to remember that traffic patterning, doing those zones, that's something that teachers have. That's a routine or structure that we put in place, making sure that they have some type of schedule for the day. With a lot of new teachers that are uncertified coming into the field, you know, for them to sit down and map out what their schedule looks like could be a challenge As a coach, you want to step in and you want to kind of make sure that they understand how to complete or create that schedule and that routine and that structure, making sure that they try to figure out some way that they do some transitions in the class, making sure that they understand how to line up students, how they pass in the hallway. These are all small things, but they're great expectations that we need to make sure that we share with teachers early on. So we want to be proactive rather than reactive, right? And so having this conversation, especially with your uncertified teachers or your long-term subs that will be in those rooms early on and your newer teachers. So your newer teachers will need some of this as well. If they're brand new out of college and they have not yet been in the classroom besides student teaching, this is a good conversation to have with them systems for parent communication in place and grading efficiency established. And so when I talk about systems for parent communication, I really talk about ways in which they're going to deal with and they're going to have conversations with parents that are on the positive side and on the side when students need to be redirected, when things are not so great. I always find that we focus on when things are not so great right? We say, well, I'm going to communicate this, I'm going to communicate that, but we never kind of talk about when we are going to communicate when things are positive. And I think that we need to make sure that we have both of those communications. I say that a lot because of my experience as a parent who has a challenging child and a child who does really, really well. So my oldest son, Josh, he is 21 now, and he's in the military. But when he was growing up and in school, he was my challenge kid. (laughs) I'm sure a lot of you have had those challenge babies in your classroom. Well, Josh is definitely one of your challenge babies. And he is definitely one of those. He was just really bored in class and he was, he struggled with that. He struggled with boredom. He struggled with really getting into the content of the class. Now, he's one of those students as well that you could teach and you could lecture to, and he could digest the content and take an exam and get an A on it. But when it came down to really engaging him in the content in the classroom or getting him to complete homework assignments or doing some actual work, that is where he lacked. Because of that, he became a behavior issue. Now, my daughter, Kristen or Chrissy, on the other hand, she is the complete opposite. She had a learning disability and she has auditory processing disorder. When we learned of that, it really changed the way in which she would learn in her instruction. And so she became a child who was adamant about learning and that it took her a little longer to grasp things and really kind of process through a lot of information. And because of that, she became a A student. She was an overachiever and she did things over the top. But I always got phone calls for Josh, but I never got phone calls for Chrissy. And as a parent, that really kind of upset me because the major thing is is that I want to hear from my children's teachers regardless. And so now when I coach teachers, I ask them that question about how would they then start to talk to parents about positive things that are happening in the classroom, not just negative things, because I was a parent who always got those negative things. I think about sometimes when the parents or we've heard stories about when the parents like block the calls, right? I've heard that before where it's like they blocked the whole school number and I can't even have conversations with them. And I'm like, why would you do that? But then I realized they were just getting so many negative phone calls that it became a struggle and it became stressful. When we mix those positive phone calls with some of those not so positive phone calls, I think parents will start to appreciate the conversation and the communication between the school and the home. All right. So now let's talk about grading efficiency. Think about this. I had a a really good friend and I'm not sure if I told this story before, but I had a really good friend and we used to sing in the choir together at church and she was going to school to be a teacher. And she would talk about all the times where she wanted to be a teacher and how she used to grade all these papers. And she was so excited. And then she started to just give so many assignments. And as she became her first year, second year teacher, I saw that she was so boggled down on grading and not really realizing what the grading was for. And so I started to have conversations with her and some other newer teachers around why we are giving the assignments that we give. And the major reason that we are given the assignments that we give is one for practice, right? We want students to actually take what it is that we taught them and what it is that they learned and actually implement it. And then second, or apply it, the second reason is to get feedback or collect data back from it. So we want to know if students are actually learning what it is that we taught. Are students able to apply the things that we taught? That is when we are looking at what it is or how much we're giving students that we are actually grading. So we don't want to just give just to give. Right. We don't want to just be like, okay, whatever. Here it is, you know? But what we do want to do is make sure that we are given assignments that's going to give us some data back. When we grade those assignments and we collect that data, we know what to do next. Has the students mastered this content? Does the students need some additional assistance? Do I need to reteach this? We can get that from homework assignments. We can get that from in-class assignments. We can get that from exit tickets. You want to make sure that you can get that from several different areas of what it is from those assignments. So that's organization. In your coaching, know that organization is more about conversations and implementing things and putting things in place. You would not necessarily work on a whole coaching cycle around organization, but you will have conversations and help teachers to actually implement that. Maybe a coaching cycle around if you're going to do the traffic pattern in the zones, but really that's just helping them to put it in place and you don't really have to do a formal coaching cycle for that. I'm excited for you to take what it is that I've talked about and all of these awesome ideas when it comes to working with teachers under organization and being able to actually help them implement those strategies and to help them to build that foundation for an awesome school year or a foundation for an awesome classroom when it comes to Helping teachers, we must understand that organization is definitely a foundation and it is everything as we move into looking at the other components of the trajectory framework. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope that this helped you. Please let me know if it did. Tag me, download, make sure that you share this information with other instructional coaches. And I'll see you guys in the next episode. Happy coaching, y'all. <laughs> for listening to the simply instructional coaching podcast if you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast please share it with other coaches and teacher leaders post about it on social media and leave a rating or review to catch all the latest from me you can follow me on instagram at simply coaching and teaching underscore and on twitter at coach and teach thanks again and i'll see you in the next episode happy coaching